Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Canon Things Podcast. Today's Father's Day, and it's kind of a special episode. I wanted to bring my dad on. We could just kind of talk about his experiences being a father, and a little bit about my grandpa, and just kind of about my life. So, welcome, Dad, to my podcast, and happy Father's Day. <laughs> Thanks, Canon. It's great to be on your podcast. I've tried to listen to several of them, and it's... Uh... An honor for a father to be able to be on your podcast. <laughs> yeah, it'll be cool. Yeah. Um, so you pulled up some of like your journals and stuff from before. What are, what were some of the ideas that you were thinking about when I invited you to come on here? Well, I mean, Father's Day is always a time when I kind of reflect about my father. Uh, you kind of spoke about how it was when you were born uh i was only a few months older than you are now almost a year maybe than when you were born and uh so it was kind of nice to, last night to think about that time period and how my life changed for the listeners canon is my oldest son and so before you were born i wasn't a father i know that's <laughs> so, what makes it interesting yeah. so how old were you you're 23 and a half or so yeah yeah, tw- 23, and... How old um, was mom? She would have been 21, almost a month before turning 22. Okay. In October, mm-hmm. so... So we were young, we were at BYU. I should back up and say that um, uh, we had been married just a, a year, and... I don't know. I mean, I guess, how much of a history do you want to get into? <laughs> we can go all the way back if <laughs> well, you want. Well, I mean, um, growing up in high school, I always had wanted to be a father. That was kind of just part of what I assumed would become part of my life. Um, I grew up with amazing parents. Cannon's grandparents were were great. They raised us really well. With, there was four of us. Canon's aunts and uncles, and um, they had great rules. They were fair. They taught us to be kind to one another and work hard. Uh, I remember my dad uh, helped me get a job when I was just eight years old, working at the Winder Dairy, which was the dairy close to our house. And and so from a young age, he was always instilling in me um, what I would consider kind of the gift of work and um, he was a great example of what a father should be. And so it was just kind of, uh, something I was excited to, to do uh, or to become someday. Um, but so then as I finished high school and, uh, served a mission, he had served a mission, a church service mission to Australia. Um, I thought that was amazing and I wanted to serve a mission and so also following in my dad's footsteps I went to Scotland uh, where I was assigned for a mission and so coming back from Scotland I was there for two years I jumped back into school at BYU uh, in Idaho and that's where I met mom and Mm -hmm. we dated for the for that summer and fall and spring and and uh, got married that next year, and then and then moved to BYU in Provo, and then you were you were born actually like a mo- the month after school had started when we were in Provo, and so I was just a young 
you know, student. I was taking a lot of my initial track. Well, was not only pre optometry, but but business management. And so I was taking a lot of classes, and I was also working. And so the thought of becoming a father was actually quite daunting, and I, I was bet. I was a little bit uh, worried. Because when I was in college, I mean, probably the one of the last things I was thinking is having a kid. Yeah. Yeah, so I've got, um, yeah. A, what year a, of college were you in? A wife and a, now a child. Um, I was a junior, so I had done, I was in my third year of college, and then I still had a, another year undergrad in business, but then uh, we went to Ohio State for optometry school, so mm-hmm. um, yeah. So I still had what 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 I have about six more years of college to go when you were born. Think of it that way. Yeah, and then you had my sister during. Had Rachel during optometry school, and then Devin right when we graduated. So by the t- when I graduated from college, I had I was a father times three, <laughs> and like a hundred thousand in debt. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that must have been super stressful to. And living across the country in Ohio with then searching for a a place to practice optometry and moving back here to Utah across the country and Mm -hmm. getting, finding a house, getting set up, having, you know, three young kids. Um, But it was great. I mean, that's. So what, what was it like leading up to before I was born? I I imagine the mood was kind of interesting because you'd never had kids before and you're probably nervous and anxious about it. And then all of a sudden, I was born like in September. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was it was really busy because the semester of school had just started. I, I was in a lot of like chemistry. I think I was in organic chemistry and anatomy mm-hmm. and all these different classes. My as friend well. took OCHEM and he hated it. Yeah, OCHEM was hard. I, in fact, I, periodically I'll refer to my journal. I just barely looked it up, and the week after you were born, I had a huge. Uh, OCHEM test and I had made note that I was going to study on the day you were born OCHEM study and I have it crossed out (laughs) because I was in the hospital all day we actually went into the hospital with you like early that morning mom didn't sleep at all that night before Um, well in fact we had been to the hospital on the Friday they sent us home because she wasn't really progressing. She didn't really sleep at all that night before. And then we went into that Saturday morning and we were in the hospital all day. And then you were born like at seven o'clock at night. So yeah. it was kind of one of those like long, almost two day type. Uh, while mom was getting ready for, you yeah. know, before you were born. So um, you're watching college football in the hospital that day? On a Saturday? Yeah, so BYU was playing Arizona. <laughs> you and, have it written in your calendar. And Arizona was ranked number 14 in the country. And in fact, my note is that after you were born, I drove home. She stayed the night, and like late that night, I drove home and was listening on the radio to BYU upset them. And anyway, but that's all part of the. So, so then the next morning. When you were one day old, I wrote that, that while Lisa tried to rest, I explained football to Cannon, 
It was fun to have him gaze up into my face and talk to him. He loved to listen. <laughs> so from when you were one day old, we were talking football. Even till now, still a good listener. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, it was it was good. I mean, you don't really know anything different when you're in that age. You just um, do the best you can. Mm-hmm. So. so what was I like as a baby? Uh, you were good. You were good meaning you were... Um, for the, what I remember is you slept, it didn't take you long to get into a good pattern of sleeping through the nights. And, um, like, I don't really recall that you cried a ton and, and things. It's probably uh, good since you guys were in college. Yeah. Living, uh, in a, a, in a house that had other people renting, uh, across the walls, mm-hmm. but, uh, um, but no, you were great. You uh, brought us a lot of joy. And, you know, when you're in that stage of life, you obviously you're trying to juggle everything. But mom was really determined to kind of be home with you. And she would work. She still would work, but much less at that point. And um, she was still going to school. So we both worked kind of through then that winter semester to, to get done before we um, left BYU. But it was... It was um, fun having a little baby in our apartment. Because, again, growing up, I always saw um, my siblings and cousins and everything. And, and went, in fact, when me and mom got married, that was one of the things we talked about. You know, like, how many kids should we have? Or when do we have kids? And we both had agreed that we want to start our family relatively quick. And we mm-hmm. both wanted to have have a child and now we have five is that how many you were talking about before back in the day i don't remember exactly but more or less i mean we had Mm. we had you know she comes from nine kids in her family and she didn't want to have nine but we wanted to have a you know a pretty big family Yeah. yeah yeah so what was that like once once i was born did you take me to football games and stuff Oh yeah. So some of the funny, one of the funny stories when you were born is, is, you know, you were, and even the year after when you were one, but we had season tickets to BYU games and and they were just the bleacher seats. And I remember, yeah, it was September. So now we're into like October, some of those cold football games. Mm -hmm. We would, we would uh, wrap you up in blankets and usually get you to fall asleep even with the crowd and the game (laughs) and everything. But but once you were asleep, we would r- kind of have you wrapped up and tuck you underneath the seats behind her, un- you know, under the bench. You didn't want to pay for a babysitter, so you just put no, me under we, the bleachers? No, we took you to the game, and you'd sleep under I mean, the- I guess if I could fall asleep even with a crowd, then you wow. weren't running any risk there. Yeah. I'm still a pretty good sleeper. Like, because one time in college, my roommates were having a party, and I slept through the whole thing. I didn't even know what happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah in the yeah. middle of the night yeah you would you would like to say you were always a good sleeper and so yeah we'd take you to all the uh, all the football games occasionally we'd go to the basketball games mm-hmm. um even when we were at ohio state i don't remember taking you a football game at ohio state we might have those were a little harder we must have though yeah. you were getting older at that point so you would have been like 
three, two, three, four years old and probably needed a ticket more at that point. Yeah. Um, and Ohio State games are more expensive than BYU. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I took you back. You remember a couple years ago? <laughs> that was a while ago. That was Actually, it was. You were a teenager. I was in high school. <clears throat> yeah, well, it would have been like seven years ago. For my 10-year anniversary from graduating from optometry school, so that would have been 2013, I took you back to Ohio, and we flew into Cleveland. We saw where the Cleveland Browns play, and then mm-hmm. we went to down to Columbus we had tickets for that game and I showed you around campus and yeah and then we went to Ohio State they were playing Iowa yeah and there was I can't remember who the running back was for Ohio State at that time I want to say it was Elliot I or think maybe it was the guy before Elliot I think so because he went pro and became yeah because I remember even in that Iowa game whoever was rushing had like 200 yards and just dominated that game yeah probably Ezekiel yeah and it was cool because we sat they had like the narrow section for the Iowa fans and they were always screaming across the aisle at Mm -hmm. the Ohio State fans it's funny because I mean it's like they still have that huge midwestern rivalry going even though it's like Iowa has no chance in this game (laughs) (laughs) yep yeah yeah but I remember one of my memories of you in Ohio, they started, so your birthday was in September. Here in Utah, you would have been delayed to start kindergarten a year. But in there, there, there was the end of September was the birthday cutoff. So I remember in that fall when you were four years old, we had a house and I remember these big trees with fall colors already. And we left you on the corner as a four-year-old <laughs> waiting for the school bus. You were the only one, and the school bus came, picked you up, and took you to your first day of kindergarten. That's crazy. You just left me alone on the street? Well, we waited for the bus to come. Yeah. But but I was thinking, but I just remember that being kind of a, a memory where, like, now we're letting you go to school, you know. And I think they actually had all-day kindergarten as well. Mm. So... And what's amazing, though, is you were, like, fine with it. Like, a lot of kids would cry and be homesick and be, you know, clinging to mom. But you were had your backpack on. You stood with, like, all this courage right on the side of the street. The bus came. You just, you know, waved to us and got on the bus by yourself and went to wow. all-day kindergarten. And I think mom cried more than you did. Really? But it's uh... <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, and then we picked you up like that afternoon. They brought you back, and Mom, we didn't even take you to school. Like I, like uh, I haven't right. even met your teacher or anything. Wow. Was... Yeah, mom used to tell me that, because I, I, I don't know how much talkative I was when I was that age, but she said that when I would come home from school, I would just complain about how much everyone else talked. Oh yeah. Because I was like, everyone just keeps talking, and they don't like to listen, and things like that, and yeah. yeah. Yeah, you didn't talk that much. I mean, you were a relatively quiet kid. Yeah, I know that. I don't have very many memories from that Ohio house. I have a few, not from kindergarten age, but mm-hmm. when did we? How old was I when we moved out of Ohio? It was in '03, so you had been like six. Okay. Or turning six. What is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Because I have like a faint memory of kindergarten. Cause I got in trouble for something and I don't remember what happened, but I, mm-hmm. I remember that feeling that I had of getting in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then I remember I had a friend who was lactose intolerant because I wanted ice cream and he couldn't have ice cream. And then I remember just the old neighborhood and how big the trees were. Cause like yeah. compared to Utah, it's like all the developments tend to have small trees that are being mm. recently planted or yeah, it's just not as old of a community. This was a very mature. Yeah. And Ohio's like the trees were huge. Mm. It's very green. The sidewalks are all cracked. Like it's very mm. old and it's been there for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And then we moved in 03. Yeah. Cause you bought, your practice or you yep. you had gotten a job yeah here. yeah twill vision center i came on as an associate with the intention to buy which then i did later but yeah that's what brought us back here do you have a lot of memories from that time like that couple year period of being in ohio like do you have any memories you want to share about that because i don't i don't know much about really what happened besides just what I've heard. Um, well, for me, I was kind of nose to the book in school, you know, grad mm -hmm. school, um, optometry school was four years. We only had one car. So typically I would actually leave the car so that mom could have it, especially, you know, with you, to, you know, to, to go do stuff. So I would walk, um, I mean, it was close to a mile down to where the bus stop was from our house and take the city bus to school. And then I got a job at the, with the medical school, with the ophthalmology department. So I'd usually go to work after at the retinal specialists, ride the bus home that night. And you, and I always made it a point where when I had to do studying or tests coming up or whatever, that I would just do all my studying on the bus or stay on campus. So that when I got home, I knew that you and mom would be like, you know, ready to play or to be involved. You could give us your attention. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. So that, that was actually something I kind of decided early and also probably something I, I learned from grandpa was that no matter how busy you are during the day, you kind of transition and when you come home, you're home. Mm. And, and so then... I remember there and even then here, you you always loved to like, you know, wrestle and stuff. So I'd come home, we'd have dinner and we'd like play on the living room carpet. And I yeah, know, that's right. Know, I remember we used to wrestle all the time. We would wrestle a lot. Like <laughs> I would be on my hands and knees. You'd be jumping on my back and I'd be like rolling on you. And, and uh, That's good. It, it's and good for children to play like that, play a little harder. It is. It <laughs> is. And I did that with, I do that with all of our, all yeah. of the kids. But, mm -hmm. um, but I mean, I think that's just kind of something as a father, you kind of have to be conscious of your different roles. I'm, you know, I'm doing this now I'm doing that and not, you know, bringing work home or I could have easily. And so there was only three in my optometry class, I want to say there was only three guys, well, maybe even counting the women, that actually had kids. I don't think any of the women had kids. So um, so there was only, out of the 65 students in my class, like three of us had families. Well, I imagine that would be much harder to go through school with having kids. Right. And so those three, we became good friends, but um, but we had to really manage our time differently. You know, mm -hmm. when... When the other kids were like, "Hey, we're gonna, we're you know, we're going to go to this 
party or we're going to go watch this movie or whatever. It, I, in my mind, it was like, nope, sorry. I've got... You have to be an adult. I've got Cannon at home as a two-year-old. He's got to go wrestle. Waiting to wrestle with me. <laughs> yeah. Or or read you a bedtime story or whatever. So, yeah. I mean, so it, it's just a different, um, you know, education. I, I was getting two educations right. really at that point in life. Yeah. Uh, a fatherhood and actually school right but maybe that helped push you in school because you really had to dedicate your time to that and you couldn't slack off mm-hmm. and it was like you were motivated to have a nice career for your family and all that right. kind of thing so you had a lot riding on you at right. that time a hundred percent yeah i had a i had a reason to be at school i mean like if i didn't pass and didn't find a good you know job afterwards so to speak then i knew you know you you and future kids and mom would, you know, were relying on me. And so, you know, as a new father, that providing for your family is kind of a, it's a source of not only pressure, which, you know, really is just channeled into purpose of, right. Of, of, of using time. So I, I would often argue that my time, I, even though I was busier, I could use my time way more effectively than a lot of other, of those, my classmates. Cause I only had one hour to study for this test, whereas they had maybe like four hours to study. Oh. So I really had to like. You really you would hyper focus. I would and... have to focus. See, that's yeah, that's probably something that's tough. Like in my experience in college, just having that sense of purpose can be hard, mm-hmm. and especially when like nowadays you have phones and stuff and so many distractions. Yeah. It's really easy to okay. I have all day to write this paper. And then you'd kind of slack off all day. And then at like eight o'clock, you're like, oh, okay, I have four hours to write this paper now. Right. And then you actually do it. Right. <laughs> but in your case, it would be like, oh, I have three hours to do this thing or whatever. Then you would just sit down and just go do through it. it. Well, because realize too, I, my entire last, well, so I was in five years of undergrad, four years of, of optometry grad school. So nine years of college for like, uh, probably seven, probably eight of those nine years, I worked as well. How many it's, hours were you working? Um, like in in optometry school, I was working close to I don't know, I can't remember, like fifteen to eighteen hours a week still. Wow. So I would still have class, class, here an hour here or there, kind of the afternoon. Like I said, I'd walk over to the ophthalmology department, work which was really kind of like an extension of school. But I also, you know, felt like I had to work because I had... Of course, you had to pay the bills. I had, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so then you graduate college, move out to Utah. You have Rachel, my younger sister, by a couple years. And then you have Devin, who comes along, and he has his heart problems. Mm -hmm. Like, what was that like dealing with that at the time? Yeah, so that was that was a pretty big challenge for us as parents because we had moved across the country. Um, I drove with Grandpa and you. I yeah, I remember, you that. remember that. I remember the that three, drive. That was an awesome. The drive. three of us. So we had, so we had the three generation of of dads and sons mm-hmm. to to drive from Ohio to Utah. We stopped at different places, including. Um, you know, I'm trying to get the highest point in each state, so we stopped in Kansas and oh. and walked to the high point of Kansas. 
But anyway, so we get to Utah and mom flew with, with Rachel because she was like, like nine, eight months pregnant. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, within a matter of just, uh, well, let's see, he was born in October. So I guess it would have been three months when we got here, Devin was born. But when Devin was born, the pediatrician the, that day when he came in or maybe the day after he heard a heart murmur in Devin's uh, heart, ordered some more tests, and we found out that Devin had a kinked aorta. And so that's where the blood vessel coming off of the heart was really constricted and narrowed, and so it wasn't allowing blood to, to pass very well. And they said, you, need, you cannot take him home. He needs to go into heart surgery tomorrow basically, or maybe it was one more day. And so uh, obviously as, as a father, you, you know, you are not prepared for something like that. But, um, with the help of my father, with grandpa, we gave Devin a, uh, a prayer, a priesthood blessing and put him in the trust of the doctors. And he had this surgery where they cut off sections of his blood vessels, sewed it back together kind of deflated one lung go they separated his ribs and went through and uh repaired it and they just said it's something we're gonna have to watch and he's done remarkably well although he did have to have another surgery a couple years ago Um, was it just to adjust all that stuff well it ended up having another area that was same artery the aorta was blocked as well another area that had kind of developed some blockage Hmm. You remember this a couple of years ago? I don't know. I remember seeing the bill <laughs> that the I think a Medicare had paid for it or something. It wasn't Medicare, just the Blue Cross. Oh, the okay. But it was like a hundred thousand yeah. dollars or something. Because the difference in that case, so this was when Devin was like fifteen. They couldn't. They couldn't just move a rib and a lung like they did when he was a day old. They had to actually cut from his bottom of his neck to the top of his stomach, you know, like a complete sternum, open heart, crack the cage, you wow. know, open him up. They, they put ice water basically through his veins to like lower him down to his body temperature. So he was, um, so his heart had more or less, they got it to stop and they put him on bypass. So basically all the blood is bypassed from his heart through the, the machine because they had to get his heart to stop so they could work on those blood vessels around his heart. So that that was a a real challenge as a as a father and parent with mom because obviously you worry about your children and and this is a pretty major yeah. surgery and so we spent you know hours praying and went to the temple. And imagine if and, that had happened 100 years ago. He he wouldn't be here. Yeah, he wouldn't. They wouldn't. Because they wouldn't, especially when he's a little baby, doing all those like yeah. little micro surgery. Yeah, they things. wouldn't have been able to have done that. He it's he crazy. would have passed. He would have been one of those infant deaths you mm-hmm. read about a hundred years ago. Where wow, and we wouldn't have even known why, because you wouldn't have known that he just would have died. He just would have. Mm-hmm. His heart would have just, hmm. you know, stopped. And so, um, so but now he's running cross country and doing great. Yeah, and keeping his heart healthy has another follow-up next month actually to oh. check things and so did after the newest surgery they say that it's going to be a consistent thing that it's going to keep needing to be tweaked or is it uh, done? possibly i mean possibly i mean he has mm. a, to a valve that's not 
normally you have a, a bicuspid and a tricuspid valve and he has like two bicuspids. So his valves, he might need a valve transplant at some point when he's an adult. And I guess if there's a draft, he probably won't go into the military. No, probably not. <laughs> so how did you, how do you know? So each time after having an, a new child, you made the decision to have another one. Mm-hmm. What was that process like? Leave it up to mom. No. It's really? A, well, partially, but not completely. Uh, but, yeah, so we, most kids were spaced out every couple years, and generally your mom would have a feeling that it was time to have another child, and and I would usually get that same kind of confirmation feeling. I mean, we would trust that God would be kind of directing when we felt it was time to have a next child mm-hmm. come into our family and um we always made it a matter of prayer but but mom was always really sensitive to those things where she knew okay now it's time we need to have another oh that's weird baby she just and, knew it already yeah she had a that intuition and guidance from mm-hmm. from heaven that there was another spirit ready mm-hmm. <laughs> all right so what other me- memories have you pulled up from just from like looking through your journal and stuff about? Um, well, I guess maybe it goes back to grandpa and, and some of the earlier discussion when what we're talking about when you were born is, is I was thinking about how I mentioned like in high school and different things, I, I was influenced a lot by, by my dad. And I, I got thinking about what are a lot of the things that he did that I wanted to make sure I did as as a dad, and um, so I was kind of writing or thinking about some of the things, and and a lot of it is is stuff that you think, oh yeah, that's just what every dad does. But the more you watch the news, and the more you kind of look at how society is, um, we might be losing some. Yeah, of you kind of realize that that men are getting a little bit of a bad rap, and and the value of what fathers bring to not only a stable household, but also stabilizing communities really. And so as I was kind of thinking about this, like, well, man, what did, what do I need to do as a dad? And what did, did grandpa do? Um, I was thinking he, you know, would always help us with our homework. And like I say, he helped get me a job when I was eight working at the dairy. Did, have you heard about my first job? I mean, so as a little side note, he he had me working at the feeding the animals at the dairy. It was a twice a day job, morning and night, to feed them every day. Rain, shine, holiday, oh. not. Those animals had to eat. And so I remember I'd get home from swim practice. It'd be dark in the middle of winter. And <laughs> the last thing I wanted to do was walk that mile over to the dairy and... Mm-hmm feed them but he was like really good at teaching um, work helping us with school he would um, attend a lot of our sports events and he was he coached my junior jazz basketball team Mm -hmm. a couple years Um, uh, really good at like setting you know rules and and if we were home late he would wait up for us and you know Mm. make sure that we got um, home from these dates in high school and stuff like, mm. um, so he just really set this atmosphere of, 
of what kind of positive leadership was in a house. Um, but he wasn't trying to control you either. He was just being a good example. Exactly. Yeah, there was really no control, hmm. um, but lots of love, lots of compassion, lots of, you're, oh, you're interested in this? Yeah, you should pursue that. And what about this mm -hmm. and this and kind of... Yeah, I've definitely seen that from him growing up too, even though I'm just his grandson, but he always tries to encourage you to just do whatever you think is right. And, mm -hmm. and yeah, that's always really nice to have people who are always just supporting you no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, um, uh, well, I mean, I guess I was just thinking about like friends, like he knew pretty much most of my friends. He knew who my friend's parents were. Oh. He knew. And of course, grandma my mom did as well um but he you know he worked in the travel business but then would also um he you know as a as a member of the church he was asked to be this lay leader where without pay he was in he was called to be a bishop and then also a stake president which means he was over about a thousand members of the church and so he had this ability to balance work family his church ministry callings and yet still in all that I never felt like he wasn't there for me I always felt like mm -hmm. he was he was supportive he he was really good to teach me how to you know save money and kind of learn in high school how to live on a budget and how to um, you know like just all the skills of life mm -hmm. that you know that were needed have a positive outlook um, I remember just as a little story from him as he taught us the example of, of early morning exercise. He'd get up at 530 and with a bunch of the old guys. And well, in my mind, they were all old guys, but they were just guys, his, his friends, basically yeah. in the neighborhood. They would go to the church and play early morning basketball. Oh, like, you know, for an hour, full core, you know, good exercise <laughs> and then come home get ready for work and go to work and and in fact I remember a couple of my high school friends who were on the high school basketball team then we we're like hey well let us come play with you thinking oh we can beat these guys and yeah. they would school us oh. all the time I mean they were like the well basketball is a lot more than just yeah. being athletic or whatnot I mean right if you're, heavy, if you're way more you can just go to the paint and beat people there yeah or well and they were just skill pass yeah. shoot skill court vision um, so, I mean, you can imagine that, um, but, but that's one of the things that then when you were born and I was a young father, I had really what I consider a, a gift from my father and I should equally say mother, but also grandfather, you know, grandpa Ned, who was in his right and great father, you know, so we, so I felt like I sort of had been taught how to be a good father but then yeah. then it comes down to now reality hits and you gotta comes down to like your do personal decisions every day yeah. to make those choices of how you're gonna manage your family right 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 and so so then that's where it gets a little bit more challenging because obviously when you're a young 20 year old i'm i've got i've I've got things that I want to do, maybe more selfish type things or more, uh, more Your own personal ambitions. Yeah. More, 
things that, you know, you come home and you want to do something, but the the last thing you want to do is now spend the next hour um, taking care of you, (laughs) you know, as a a baby or whatever. But, But, I mean, I think that's the value of why you know, God has us be in these family situations and in these roles of fatherhood is, and motherhood, you know, is like, I wouldn't have, and I'm sure no father would be the type of person that he is if he hadn't have, had actually made those decisions to go through and that process of giving his heart and his life and everything to his kids. Hmm. And that's where you see fatherhood maybe and motherhood maybe break down as people have kids come to them, but then they don't make that, they don't have good modeling like I'm describing, they don't have good examples, they don't have a good support system, and they don't make that conscious decision to really work at being a good parent, Yeah, (laughs) you know. Yeah, because to me it's like, I mean, of course it's not always like this, but be a daily decision almost to, even like, even need, a moment to moment decision. Yeah, it's like okay, I have this option to play catch with my son or read a book that I wanted to read, and it's like if I don't make if I don't choose to spend time with the kid today, then am I robbing him of like this certain thing that the bond that we need for tomorrow. But I also need to you know like self care a bit, and it's like I need to relax and do mm-hmm. my own thing. So how do so like managing that I imagine is really tough but yeah like yeah. a daily decision yeah yep yeah yeah and self-care is important I mean that's why I get up before the kids get up I mean I my alarm goes off at five and I have my morning self-care routine with running or or the gym or you know whatever yeah. and um I feel like I can do that before then the kids get up to then now I have something to give to them. And you do it together. I mean, the tricky part is you say playing catch with your son is that moment, but sometimes it's not self-care. It's maybe I've got a project due at work or maybe I've got an obligation at church where a neighbor needs a visit because they're sick. And, you know, so sometimes it's, it's other good things that are actually drawing you away. And it's really not just more of the challenge comes. Yeah. Right. Well, I wouldn't even say that choosing to read a book or watch a show is a bad thing. Yeah. yeah, that's not. I mean, it's all all of life is a gray area there. Right, but if you're choosing to watch a movie while your son is in on his tablet watching YouTube and you haven't spent any time with him that day, you have to be aware enough to sure. to realize, okay, I need to, you know. Yeah. Well, and, and love is attention. Yeah. The maybe love doesn't necessarily exist all the time, but showing your attention is a form of love. Right. So you have to show that by just giving your kids attention, mm-hmm. even if you are really tired or you have other good things right. to do. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So that reminds me. I I have kind of a a I guess you could call it maybe a quote, but it's something I kind of take serious as far as the way I view being a father and it's what we're talking about with this this guy he says that the christian home is the master's workshop where the process of character molding are silent lovingly and faithfully carried out and so like this is kind of just the the way i 
the lens that I view fatherhood through, you could say, is kind of this concept or I, a belief that I have is that of, of that where the, this, the home is, the, is, is kind of God's workshop where this character molding, obviously, like, so my job is to help you as a son become honest and live with integrity and with kindness and with fairness and with uh -huh. love to you know as a person which i think you have become and i'm proud that you have become the type of man you become um but then as a byproduct those qualities i think then get purged or processed inside of me um and that that's one of the things that I think is part of the challenge with society is that a lot of times, you know, when we live singly and individually and, and we don't, we're not put in this, this rock tumbler of fatherhood that's knocking off, you know, rough edges, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, people have a hard time learning how to get rid of some of their selfishness or get rid of some of their, their ego or their their pride because they don't have a a, a one-year-old waiting at home to wrestle that they're willing to go home and wrestle with <laughs> yeah you know hmm. um so anyway that's just kind of one of the ways i view fatherhood is is that it's it's part of the purpose of being here on earth as a man really and is what god's trying to um help us to become hmm. but it's obviously not easy because naturally we don't want to lose those yeah. um, selfish parts of ourselves yeah and I one because I don't have kids but my cousin so like your brother's daughter she's very obsessed with me and she's three years old but she like always wants to hang out with me and talk mm. with me and that's kind of it's been like really awesome for me to experience that because even though i don't have kids it kind of feels like i have you have a little i have like a piece of a daughter a piece of a daughter where yeah. it's because now i'm i just moved into their basement just for a month or so and it's like i'm choosing to just spend as much time with her while i have this because usually mm -hmm. i'm not with her all the time but even when i'd occasionally facetime her before or whatever mm -hmm. it was just like so much light and energy from that person and and it was and it's so easy to just like fall in love with a little kid if they're giving if if they're showing you that and they're smart because yeah there's 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 things about children that you can't replicate through other means that can really soften up things about people because for me which is kind of weird to say is even though she's just like a three-year-old it gives me a lot of it like helps my self-worth knowing that there's this little human who adores me more than anything in the world because mm -hmm. sometimes i'll struggle with things and and then it's like oh yeah like she thinks you're the greatest person in the world and i'm like okay well maybe i am the greatest person in the world yeah <laughs> yeah and that's that's the that's the payback of fatherhood yeah <laughs> and i would i was glancing uh, again at my journal from the day you were born that night I wrote I can't believe the instant love you have or that you feel uh, and not only towards you but I wrote even my love for Lisa has multiplied a hundredfold truly God fills your heart with with his love I mean it's this idea that like like Amaya doesn't do anything for you or you 
when you're one day old didn't do it. It's not like you did I don't anything. provide any value to you. Yeah, you. But but when but when you look at you know these infants or these young kids, there's just a love that God fills your heart with, and that they fill your heart with, and it's like instant that you you can't even explain. Yeah. And that's the bond that. What did you mean drives. that your love for Lisa, for my mom, had increased a hundredfold? Well, so the same kind of love that we're talking about, um, I felt towards her seeing what she went through. Because, it, you know, when you see a woman carry a baby for nine months inside of them, at th- and in your case, through the summer heat, <laughs> and, uh, you know, she was... I guess that's true. Provo in the summer could be pretty hot. And so you, yeah, you think of like well, August, it's her first baby, first baby, but the month before you're born, you're going through August, the hottest month of the year, hottest month, and she's eight months pregnant, and it was not easy for her. She was in discomfort every day. She slept poorly every day. She mm-hmm. hurt every day. She was, um, yeah. you know, care, basically giving her life t- to allow your life to develop and Mm -hmm. you know and then to see like the uh, I mean I got to be in the room when when you were born and so when so that's another what I would consider kind of magical experiences when you witness uh, your own child your wife and your child be born um, it's just you, you know it's just hard to explain you just you just feel that instant love and like gratitude that that the woman that you've chosen to like live the rest of your life with has decided to carry this baby that's now yours. So now the two of you have this new life. And mm. so I just ha- had this overwhelming like love for her that, again, I can't explain, but, you, you know, you just... But, and, and that's what bonds really a father and a mother together to be able to, I think, handle the challenge of a newborn, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. is because that now a newborn, you have... A whole new set of life-changing daily challenges but if you don't have that that strong bond now with your spouse it makes it even harder yeah. you know um, so I I mean I consider it a gift of charity that God gives uh, for charity of what chair just that charity of love that he Uh-oh. he fills your heart with as a couple and as a you know, towards your, uh, you know, your son or your daughter. Or whoever. Mm-hmm. But in your case, it was it was you because you you made us. Did you know that I was a boy before I got born? Yeah, yeah, we had had a, we pretty much did with all of our kids. We had the always seen before. Yeah. Did you, did mom ever know before, what gender it would be or, um, before the ultrasound? Mm-hmm. Um, just like in her mind she already knew or? I don't remember I <laughs> maybe don't, I'll have to ask her yeah I don't she, I don't think we I don't think did so did you did you pray for like a specific gender or was that not super no, important we did, no that wasn't important to okay. us I mean we were we were happy to have sure just anything a healthy young <laughs> child you know baby yeah. that um, no we weren't and we never did I mean none of her none of our yeah, it didn't matter to us. We just um, took whoever God would give us. You know. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's not a super important thing, but I just was kind of wondering. When I was younger, probably about 
I guess it would be about the age of 12 when you're starting to get more involved in church and Boy Scouts and things like that. You were my leader when I was 12, right? Mm-hmm. So what was that like? Because I remember we did like scout camps and stuff and, and I always thought it was fun to hang out with my dad and go do camping and things. But what did you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I was various leaders, whether it was a scout master specific leader or sometimes I was just involved with the young men in general. Um, but regardless, and sometimes I was even a young man leader of an, the older, like the one trip we did to Southern Utah, I was more over some of the older boys and you were younger, but I took you anyway. Yeah. So, so that was the one where we went down to Coyote Gulch and Escalante and the one where we lost you. I don't know. That was, I was, that was one of the th- main <laughs> stories that I was thinking of going into this. We didn't lose you. You lost us. No, actually I ran away. <laughs> Because I hated the caterpillar. Okay, so where were where was that? That was in Brimstone Gulch, which is down by Escalante and Coyote Gulch and Peekaboo Gulch. Yeah, and that's and pretty like gnarly cannons. country because that's. Oh yeah, you're in the middle of nowhere. You don't. You could get lost pretty easily. Though. Yeah, and we're talking big, um, high maze, narrow, you know, rock type. Uh, yeah, so we hiked because it was a couple miles, and then. We got into this cave and it was cool. It's like a really tight slot canyon. Uh-huh. And there's caterpillars going up and down the walls all over and they'd like fall on you and stuff. And I hated it. I couldn't stand it for more than like two minutes. And there was nowhere you could go in that slot canyon without caterpillars. Yeah. So even though it was cool, I thought, oh, I'm just going to go back. I don't want to do this. So I, I just hiked all the way back to like the beginning of the hike. and then, But I didn't really, well, for like the first hour, I didn't really realize that like, oh, maybe they think I'm lost. And then, which we did, we came out of the slot canyon, and then just near there, there was this big sandy hill, and so a lot of the boys were like climbing up this sand and like rolling down the sand and playing, and meanwhile, I'm like, where's Cannon? Where's Cannon? So these are like 16, 17 year old boys. I was like 13. And yeah, you were several years younger than them. But it was so hot. I remember it was like one of the. It was just. So it was scorching hot, and I yeah. thought it would be crazy to go play in the sand dunes. Right. And so they were. They were. And so I actually went back towards, it was Brimstone Gulch was the mm-hmm. name of that slot canyon, because it was all black on both sides. And I went back right to the entrance, and then I thought, no, there's no way he would have gone back in there. <laughs> so, I mean, I vividly remember, like, falling to my knees and saying a prayer in the sand with the sun. Oh. And just at asking, where is he? I is he? Please bl- help him be safe. And then I kind of had a thought, keep going. He's not here. And so we kind of can't went back out into the main. It's like a riverbed, kind of back out yeah. to where the river. But there was lots of turns. But and there was stuff. a lot of forks and stuff. And yeah. And so as we started going <laughs> back up, then you came back down. Yeah, because I, like, I was starting to feel bad. I was like, oh, they probably... Where are they? Are yeah, they? and I thought I thought you guys would just be behind me, and the, yeah, I was feeling bad, but but I also always... I mean, we did lots of hikes before that, and yeah. I have a pretty good memory, so I wasn't going to get lost there or anything, but... Yeah. Because <laughs> you had taught me how to be a good hiker, but... Yeah. yeah, and you remembered where the car was or whatever, but we just didn't want to leave the area if you were still down right. there. But you're right. I mean, we did lots of, of youth activities, lots of camps, lots of... I mean, from when you were young, I'd take you up Deseret Peak when you were 
nine, oh, yeah. ten years old. Because one of my, I don't remember anything about that that one time we did Desert Peak. How long is the hike? That that one. Um, Desert Peak's like eight miles round trip. Okay. But it's an eleven thousand foot mountain. So we were probably halfway up, and it was a blizzard that snowstorm. One it snowed, yeah. Yeah, because you were in front of me making the step the footprints for me to walk in because it was so deep that i couldn't even walk on my own path Mm -hmm. and then we were you just turn around and you're like i don't think we're gonna make it (laughs) well i can't remember i think it was fall like it was one of those like september or october weird snowstorms like we weren't planning on getting snowed but all of a sudden it just like we got like two feet and then it was a full-on blizzard but yeah and then we forced us to turn around but but i did always appreciate that you were willing to like go out and do those things and yeah and um you know we did lots of mountains of course for your senior year we went over to california and did mount whitney yeah well that was always something that because i knew that was something that you liked was to go hiking and i thought well there i'm not going to get very many chances to hang out my dad unless i'm going through this route Mm -hmm. and and I'm not like the kind of like I like most things, so I'll just tr- do it. And I I never super enjoyed hiking, but I always liked coming back and mm. like that feeling of accomplishment. And then yeah, yeah they were after, always hard hikes. Yeah, they, they were always tough. We weren't, we weren't really ever doing. Just well, and I always walks. was rewarded by food, so food was usually enough encouragement for me to because uh-huh. it always tasted better if you had finished a hike that day or yeah. have good <laughs> snacks on the yeah on the the trip I I still think that what's Nevada's boundary peak Mm -hmm. I still think that's probably the hardest hike I've ever done in my life because I remember that was you'd hike two feet up and then the gravel would pull you down a foot yeah terrible trail there's no trail I mean I you'd hike up boulders and then because even Whitney while being a longer hike it wasn't as technically hard to me yeah it was a, a good trail yeah just, much more traveled just a lot higher in elevation yeah and there's like the little gopher mountain goat or gopher, not, yeah yeah the, gophers oh, what? marmots marmots yeah. that got into our food yeah they chewed through our tent when we got back <laughs> remember they'd eaten a bunch of stuff and peed in our tent and <laughs> we packed up but but yeah that was always a good i think that was a something that we always had that i don't have quite the same with the other kids in the family yeah and i've noticed that too because whenever we try to go on hikes, it seems like it's not as it's good. I th- mm-hmm. well, it's just because they they're usually more negative about it, or they'll complain, or or they'll just not try as hard. I guess mm-hmm. because that's kind of the point of hiking is like it's just you just end up putting one foot in front of the other if you're really tired. And mm-hmm. of course, for you, you're like. really good in shape but yeah but it was i mean but i but even though i mean it was still hard for me but i always enjoyed that effort and that that challenge and i always looked at being on the trail as a way to have a chance to talk you know like if there was ever a time when i thought oh man it'd be nice just to talk with canon hiking was a way we'd just go and do it because it's not like we would sit here at home for hours talking yeah just sitting around and talking yeah well that's not really what on that I didn't like to do that back then. Right. But if we were hours on a trail climbing up a mountain, we could have eventually great we'd start talking. Yeah. Um, I didn't even remember like what we'd even talk about really, but <laughs> we just talk cuz there's nothing else to do. Right. 
Right. And that's yeah. part of the, that was part of the value I always saw with climbing mountains with my kids. And we still do. I mean, we, yeah. we went on a hike yesterday with these guys. Yeah. And, and I think uh, the difference is just, it was one-on-one versus yeah. having three or four kids and, right. and you and I know I should just take one-on-one more often, but it gets harder. I when think that got... might be worth it yeah. to do one-on-ones, but yeah, then you can't involve everybody. And, mm-hmm. and again, time yeah, it's limited. Time is always. But we did a lot. We did several. You know, took you to Bear Lake and the Uintas and lots of scout camps. I mean, you had the scout camp every year for your entire. Yeah. The multi-day, multi-week, some backpacking. Uh, that was a big part of your growing up. Was a lot of Being the outdoor and. Yeah, that's something that I haven't really done as much as just as an adult Mm -hmm. but what's different for me now is because back then it was just like hey let's want to go to desert peak like next week and i'd be like okay and then you would set everything up and i would just get in the car basically now now it's like i have to like plan it and it's like i could be doing this thing instead of that or but i've been this last year i've been trying especially when quarantine started Mm -hmm. well kind of like after it happened this summer has been like a little bit more of it's been more willingness and more seeing the value and just being outside and being with nature mm-hmm. and all that even if it is just on my own right there's a lot of value in that well there is and i mean while we're talking about fathers and men there's a lot of value for men men need to have a kind of an outdoor uh outlet you know i yeah. mean as far as if you don't have a, a have a, a way to to burn off anxiety and stress and tension. I mean, that's what I always view kind of physical mm-hmm. things as, as a way to make sure that it's a, I mean, for me, that's how I release a lot yeah. of, that's probably, I, I'm, that's well, one of the reasons I feel I don't have a lot of struggles with anxiety or depression or some of those things is because I, I carve out this outlet where I'll run up, you know, go up a mountain instead. Yeah. Of, you know, well, if or if you do have them, it definitely helps. It helps. Yeah, it gives you a chance to be yeah. in nature to process through those thoughts yeah. and feelings. Well, because if you're if you're on a really long walk, you're not looking at your phone or like you're not thinking about stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, you are thinking about stuff. It actually forces your mind to meditate in that state where it's like, right. I can flush out all my problems in my brain, and plus your body will get so tired that you'll just come home and crash and then mm. it'll just kind of like it alleviate works its a way lot. out. Yeah. 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 And especially if you allow it to, or you maybe talk through a lot of your issues with whoever mm. you're hiking with. And then it's mm-hmm. like kind of like a good therapy session. Just no, get it all out there and you'll there, be better. There's absolutely a lot of value in that. I mean, I'm convinced of it. That's partially why I have still a group of guys that we run every, every other morning with in the mountains do you and, talk to them while you're running yeah yeah so the four of us go running three to four times a week and we do you know a good hour out in the mountains and on the trails no one brings headphones no one brings their phone and mm-hmm. we just we just bounce things off of each other and mm-hmm. and i mean i think again as a dad that that's one of the ways and i mentioned how grandpa would go and play basketball with his guys you know is is that's one of the the things that you kind of have to have to to 
just to have an outlet positive and have an outlet and and the outlet doesn't become taking it out on your kids <laughs> you know yeah like they, all the they, cops who have domestic abuse issues yeah that unfortunately dads come home and they they'll take it out on you know alcohol or drugs or gambling or, their wife or abuse or, or, or mm-hmm. whatever and because they, they haven't learned how to have a more of a, a healthy mm-hmm. uh, you know balance in life hmm. but, yeah that's true it's so, um, but yeah, we always had lots of fun in the mountains. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know we need to do it more. We, cause we tried King's Peak a couple of years ago and that didn't work cause we got rained on and then, yeah, the storm, no, well, not just rain, but lightning and we, we didn't. I would want to go back and just try to bust that out in a day. I wouldn't even want to try to camp it. I would just want to just haul up there and come back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We should do it. <laughs> been hitting the stair climber more lately and I just realized it's a marathon day it's like 26 miles to go up and back it's oh 24 24 miles feet something. will be so dead after that one yeah we can do yeah. it yeah it's funny because i'm not like super in shape but every time i go for hikes i'm just like mountain goat still yeah. like it's just easy and i'm just like i don't i don't know how that happens i i'm definitely i'm sure it'll hit me more when i'm older not if you keep doing it. it won't. Yeah. Well, I mean, just like a hardly, maybe once or twice a month at most. But it's just like, just want to like go really fast. Yeah. Yeah. Well, keep doing it. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I don't really like w- lifting weights, but. But you like to hike. Yeah. yeah. I think this was pretty fun to do. Like, I've, I've never just kind of sat down with you and just talked about old memories and. No, kind of got your fun. perspective on being a father. Yeah. Cuz I've and I've done podcasts about it, but I've been kind of thinking more about not having kids. Mm-hmm. But then just talking through it it definitely it's it it provides me with another full perspective on like mm-hmm. just how powerful and meaningful it can be to have kids and yeah. what it's like to be a dad. Yeah. So yeah, thanks for doing this. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like I say, thanks for the honor of being on your podcast yeah. as a father. It's a treat to see your son grow up to be a man and uh you're you're, you've become a uh a great guy i um yeah hope you think more about fatherhood in a different way and and i have to thank you for being making me a father (laughs) uh, you're welcome yeah i didn't get to choose so i just (laughs) didn't i just spawned into existence (laughs) yeah and yeah i want to do another one with you about your work because i've been i've been doing some kind of work profiles but oh, uh-huh. maybe we could go in depth about your college like why you became an eye doctor how that was uh-huh. like and in the future we could try yeah. that yeah absolutely all right um, thanks for uh, everything <laughs> let me be on your show yep